Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Gems of History podcast. I am not by myself this week. I have both my co-hosts back. So welcome back, Mark, and welcome back, Evan. Hey, oh, we're back. The uh, captains are back in charge of the ship. What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> sure, uh, yeah, that was a real stretch. Yeah, I apologize. Now I'm here. I know what a, what a, what a bummer. I know. Ev, how's the trip? <laughs> oh, sorry. It's like they hear. All right, I'm back. Back uh, with my usual co-host, just audible booze <laughs> on Monday morning when the episode gets uploaded. Like the first five people are just gonna just boo so hard, just like immediate downvote. It's definitely getting to the point where people are like waiting to hear who is here for Mark again. They're, yeah, like, they, they're shocked when I'm here and disappointed. No, no, yeah. and filling in for Mark, Mark yeah. Steinbrenner, filling in for Alex Bush or Alex Mattis. Yeah, and, Alex, and Marshall Mattis, and down the line. <laughs> Filling in for Drew Schrader is Mark, Mark Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner. Huh? Because <laughs> you are the texting No, queen. I'm not. It's for uh, something on the pod. Oh, Mark's got secret info on his phone this week. Well, no. <laughs> Bev, how was the trip? Oh, it was amazing. Uh, so for listeners, I was in Clearwater, uh, Florida. No, excuse me. Indian Rocks Beach, Florida. Um, right on the Gulf of Mexico, our house was absolutely incredible. Um, happy 40th wedding anniversary, uh, mom and dad. Congratulations. Um, this year was 39, but we celebrated 40 because youngins. They're cheating. Yep. <laughs> it's called rounding up. Fair enough. Um, yeah, we were down there for a good <laughs> it's, week. It's like when you're at the grocery store, would you like to round up your anniversary to 40? <laughs> sure. Like, all right, how much is it going to cost me? It's like, going to charity, so you're giving up that year. <laughs> I always feel so bad when I say no to them. <laughs> I know, but it's like if your total's like six ninety four, you want to donate six cents? Sure, I don't know what it's gonna do to help, but yeah, <laughs> right. It's like a, a quarter is a little bit much. <laughs> I never know what I'm donating to. I know, I don't. Yeah, like what do you like to donate? Would you like to donate to the Pakistan Army? Yeah, um, because all they I don't know what they're doing. All <laughs> I listen to is "Would you like to round up?" Uh, after that, I zone it out, and I'm like, "Yeah, uh, yeah go for it." Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyways. That's how we're going to get canceled. We accidentally donated to terrorism. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, anyway, vacation in Florida. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Drank a lot of tequila. Surprise, surprise. Did you make any Florida man headlines? I didn't, unfortunately. Disappointing. Kept it all on the beach. It's so funny that Florida man is like an entity now. because And the only like reason it's... Like a paranormal it's, entity? Like a cryptid? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but like, the only reason that... That is a thing is because Florida has the sunshine laws, which allows the news to get access to more details about different crimes. So that's the only reason why Florida seems to have more crazy stories, just because you can hear about them easier. Oh, really? Yeah. it's But now it's oh. become a thing where everyone thinks Florida is this lawless wasteland, which... Because it also It is. kind of is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, I guess it works on its own, but... Yeah. That's kind of crazy. I had no idea. Yep. Well, luckily I didn't do anything too nuts. Didn't ride any crocodiles or alligators around? There weren't actually any where we were. I was super pissed. Lame. Did you ever see any when you were down in Miami? What? When you lived down in Florida? See any alligators Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, down towards Miami, there's a lot of them. And then, I, obviously, the Everglades isn't that far. So if you just want to go see them, you can. It was kind of cool, actually. There's a trail in the Everglades. You can just walk it. And... uh the the alligators are just right there on the pathway, but they're just so chill and vibing in the hot sun. They're like they're not gonna bother you if you went and, like poked it, maybe I don't know. But you walk right by within like feet of them, and it's the Everglades. It's just like a national park, so 
there's not it's not fenced off it's not like a zoo like these are just wild animals right next to you it's really cool <laughs> it's like you know how with cats you have to do like the pss, 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 yeah. to get their attention you just have to speak in australian accents <laughs> like get, get a crocodile's just, attention turn their head no i'd much rather run into an alligator than a crocodile just because of how feisty those crocodiles are glad we don't have any of those around yeah i don't really want to run into either of them to be honest but I feel a lot like of alligators are so much slower I think I feel like they can be pretty quick though, because like when they run out of the water and snatch a dog or something. Oh God, chill! <laughs> you, but you've seen videos like yeah. that before. It's just, they're pretty quick. Yeah, I suppose. Mm. So, but what else did you do in Florida besides not see alligators? Um, man, uh, went in the ocean a lot. Did not get sunburned once. Nice. So you boys look like you need to get wet. <laughs> <laughs> Some Schmitz game here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ew, what? <laughs> You've never seen that? Schmitz gay? Oh, I thought it was Schlitz gay. No, it's Schmitz gay. I think gay. it's Schmitz, I think. Yeah. I, don't actually know. Oh. I haven't seen it recently, but another shout out to Chris Farley. There, yeah, but... great Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah, that is really funny. Um... Just turns the pipe on. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that in a while either. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm amazed I picked up on it right away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but all in all, great trip. Good stuff. Wish I was still down there, just chilling on the don't beach. we always? But... But now you get we're the nice here. fall weather back here. You got flan- we got flannels Flannel on. Gang. We were ready for bonfire uh, season. Sweatshirt on. This is the last episode before October, which means that it's officially spooky season. So Yep. Goodbye, hot girl summer. Hello, fat boy fall. <laughs> so <laughs> I've what, never heard is that, that what we're calling it now? Yep. We should make t shirts. I'm down. We're talking orchards, hay rides, apple cider, pumpkin Get carvings. Get apple picking out of my damn you face just, time. You just right up, like raffled those off right one after another. I was impressive. Yeah, I am so ready, oh, yeah. dude. Fall is my dude. Season. Fall is the best season. Can we just like have an like an honest conversation? Apple picking's the worst, right? I've never done it. Uh, really? Yeah, I, I have so. to definitely say you're way wrong on that <sighs> one. Ev, totally wrong. It. Yeah, we Ugh. should. Have you ever been to Elegant Farmer in McQuanago? I have not. All right. Well, why does going. it sound like he rides a tractor in a suit? Uh, well, there's a tractor and you can ride it, but no, I don't know about the suit. There's just a dress code to get in. <laughs> yeah. I'm just an elegant farmer. Just sounds like he should have slick back hair, wearing mm-hmm. like full tux. Well, when we go, we can see if that's what's going <laughs> okay. on there. But... That'll be our first like yeah. podcast. We trip. all have to go to a haunted house too. Oh, Ooh, agreed. Absolutely. We should record, record us walking through a haunted house. Yeah. Yes, That'd we're become... GoPros. Absolutely. Yeah. It has I'm, to be on Mark, too. <laughs> Mark has to wear it. I'm the most scared one. <laughs> but then you can't see his reactions. All right, I'll wear it and be behind him. It's so a reverse can... GoPro. Like, it looks at me. <laughs> yeah. holding a selfie, selfie stick. stick. Yeah. My, my face, he's just in, a, in panic. <laughs> You're looking for a way out yeah, the whole very time. very uncomfortable. It's like we reach the end. Mark, where are your shoes? Like, no, I literally got scared out of my shoes. Wow. <laughs> But yeah, right. spooky season's coming up, so I feel like we have to really brainstorm some ideas for next month's episode so that we can get some good spooky content out there, too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Good I feel point. like we could come up with something good. Maybe uh, Gems of Horror. Part three. Hilarious oh, that we did fun. the first two like in the middle of summer. I know. We were just like, ah, we can make up some excuse for right. this. Well, people seem to like them. So. I, I like them. So yeah. that... mm, big fan. Yeah. But anyways, Mark, how have you been? What have you been up to? Uh, I've been well, except uh, I like maybe fractured my ribs or tore my pec muscle. That wasn't great, which is shocking because I never hurt. <laughs> right? I was about to say, do okay, you like yeah. just like 
tape up your ribs and now you're fine? Like just well, like well, I mean, obviously what happened was I, I, was, I was walking on the sidewalk and some kid ran into the street and this car coming didn't see him. <laughs> so I went out there and just stopped the car with my bare hands and tore my peck. For those of you that don't well, know. Well, shout out Peter's gym. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Mark is like the most prone to injury person I've ever met in my entire life. You know, my shoulders don't stay in. My kneecap likes to come out. My ribs like to fracture or my my pec. I don't know what happened, but it's broken. Something. Yeah. Playing football with Mark in high school. It's like you literally saw this man dislocate his shoulder and promptly put it back in at least once a week. Oh, playing, was, oh man. playing basketball in the driveway with him. He, like one time he hurt his leg and his dad picked him up, put him off to the side of the court. And we just continued playing because his dad <laughs> knew how much he got hurt. He's just like, uh, he'll probably be fine in like an hour. Yeah. Once the screaming stops, you're usually okay. You know? Literally the funniest thing, like looking <laughs> back at it. He play. literally just picks him up, sets him on the grass, yeah. comes back yeah. over. Well, it was his team's fit. ball, like up two or up one. We game. needed to get it done. Yeah, yeah, like, he's not going to take the L on that. Are you kidding me? So, yeah, but no, in general, I'm uh, doing well, feeling good, and uh, here we are. I heard you're getting drilled at the dentist tomorrow or something. Yeah, I'm going to tooth remove the mark. Dude, what, what's happening in my life? What is know. up with your body? I'm falling apart, uh, but hey, I will tell you, the doctors gave me some pretty good painkillers, so hey. honestly, as far as I'm concerned, I could do anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, just getting a tooth pulled tomorrow, and... Uh, so, I don't know. Well, I was talking to you about this, but I don't know if I ever told you, Evan, the one time that I cracked a rib in the like lamest way in, in history. Mm. So, I went and visited a buddy of mine in Oshkosh. And we were out at the bars, and one of his like larger friends, this guy's probably like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, like, probably close to 300 pounds. Like, he's a big boy. And he cracks my buddy's back. And then I was just standing up behind the bar, like behind the stools. And he comes up behind me and does it to me without telling me he's doing it. So he squeezes me like super hard. And all of a sudden I just hear a pop in my chest. And I, it didn't hurt like at first. And then the next day I woke up and I was just like, oh, what happened? And like for the next two weeks, whenever I like took really deep breaths, it was just really sore. I was like, man, I think I cracked a rib in without doing anything. <laughs> So that was fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's not it it wasn't like that painful, but it's just really obnoxious to have yeah. to deal with it. And I was like, I I could think of a hundred other ways that would have been a more exciting story of how I cracked a bone in my body than doing this. It's all about how you word it. Yep. True. Gotta put a nice spin on it. Just say like he tried to suplex you but then you <laughs> fended him off. Right. Yeah. Like he was trying to RKO me and I just flipped around and, <laughs> and then you okay art him yeah. <laughs> uh, we're back boys Yo, we man. are back Yo. but broken bones and personal injuries and misery aside i'm doing fine <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, doing, hell. I'm doing fine right now but you guys are in too close a proximity here <laughs> mark's of, bad yeah. juju's gonna rub off on us yeah he's yeah. literally a black cat <laughs> <laughs> well mark since you're struggling a little bit over there would you like to start us off with trivia so that maybe we can struggle a little bit if you want to sure <laughs> knowing oh. you your trivia is probably going to be like three separate questions i was about to say <laughs> no no very, very very straightforward but very obscure what is the national animal of pakistan all right a peacock 
feel uncomfortable saying this word. A markor. I don't know. What it markor. Is. What is that? Please tell me there's like a hyphen. So it's like mark hyphen whore. No, it is M A R K H O R. Oh, don't know what Could that be is. Pronounced marker. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> just a Crayola. The, the ages. <laughs> I can't even, dude. It hurts so much to laugh, but it's so funny. Yes, that's our goal. <laughs> Put Mark through pain. Yeah. And the last one is a loin. So there's three options? Three options. That's so weird. I don't need more than three. I don't even. <laughs> so we have an actual bird, a Crayola marker, and some soiled underwear. Sure. <laughs> Some loins. A loin. Peacock, markhor, and loin. <laughs> and one of these is the national animal. I'm, it's got to be markhor. I'm going to say pelican. Or not pelican. pelican. Yes, <laughs> what, if, what if I said he's what right? It's like not an option. <laughs> Man, what a good trippy question. Just didn't include the answer. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm going to say peacock. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> The correct answer is, is Pelican. <laughs> Markor. Yes. I don't even know what is what that, that is. <laughs> I'm googling yeah, it now. Figure out what that is because I want to know. Um, we gotta find out what this bad boy looks like. Whoa! I typed. It. Oh, it's so essentially a goat with spiral horns. That's kind of sick. It's super metal. Honestly, kind of looks like a demon. Whoa, yeah, this definitely seems like something that's borderline, like, fantastical. That's pretty cool. All right. Interesting. Well, the two always has a dislocated shoulder. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, man. Goats are kind of sick, though. Like, mountain goats. Like, they're ill a lot of the time? I, maybe. I don't know. They just know. always have, like, a slight cold. <laughs> they're, like, Me. they're hanging out <laughs> yeah. up in the mountains. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, but like they can just jump from rock to rock and stuff on like really steep cliff ledges and Not stuff. Just like it's steep, super like cool. With like completely ninety degrees. Literally, angles. it's, it's crazy. so cool. It's yeah. crazy. Like, how do you do that with hooves? I, I don't know. understand. Just be chilling. All right, what you got? All right. So most people in the U.S. know the name of the notorious prison of Alcatraz, but what does the word Alcatraz actually mean? A. Albatross. B. Seagull. C. Manatee. Or D. None of the above. Why would, why throw that last one in? Yeah, <laughs> what? It's an option. Hmm. A seems a little too obvious. It's a lot of birds today. Just one other bird. <laughs> <laughs> Alcatraz. Well, it was Alcatraz. What was the other two? This, it was A was albatross, albatross. B was seagull. C was manatee. Or D none of the above. So two other birds. Hachi do hachi. <laughs> <laughs> Quacky, sir, You know what? I will go. Mary, call the American embassy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. um, what are you and now back of? to the gems of quotation. Yeah. <laughs> SNL today. Dude, so funny. Um, I'm going to go with C. Okay. He's saying manatee. What was Alpha Bravo again? Albatross and Seagull. I'm I'm feeling seagull. Okay. Correct answer is D, none of the above. Wow, what a jerk. So the correct answer is actually pelican, and that's why I had it on my brain. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm I'm getting half credit. So yeah, it it means pelican in 
Spanish or loosely means pelican in Spanish because the original name was like Alcatrace or something like that. And then they changed the name to sound a little more like Anglo-Saxon and then they changed it to Alcatraz, which means pelican. And it means like island of pelicans. So I don't know. I guess like a lot of pelicans hang out there or something. But yeah. It's just a spot. It's a hangout. A vibe, if you will. <laughs> you look like you have something to say all the time, and then you just don't. I don't know why. I just have I don't, I have a terrible thought. <laughs> you just said all these pelicans are there. I'm just thinking, of like, you know, Jack Sparrow was known for, like, riding sea turtles to escape i'm just thinking he's like straps his body onto some seagulls and, <laughs> and that's how he escapes away. alcatraz yeah all right what you got up oh my goodness i can't get the imagery out of my head just like yeah. being on the beach last week and seeing all these seagulls which they don't give a singular oh, no. Head. no no they rule that beach with iron fist they just get so comfortable around people after like no time at all mm-hmm yeah, I've heard they have abnormally large talons. <laughs> I don't know what damn word you just said, boy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So my question, uh, pretty, pretty straightforward for y'all. <laughs> pretty, what pretty, pretty good. was candy corn originally called? Jacob's Garbage. favorite food. Literally the worst Halloween I food. hate it. Honestly, like a tie between candy corn and peeps. They are oh, the worst. Oh, no, peeps, hate, peeps are worse, I in my opinion. Peeps. Yeah, peeps are worse. I mean, who's ever gone out of their way to eat a peep? Not, Not me. I. My dad likes peeps, I'm pretty sure, though. So, Okay. I, I just don't understand it. I've just never been a huge fan of marshmallows that aren't toasted, to be honest. Oh, so, I get pissed. Like, that's why I never really like Lucky Charms that much, because they had the marshmallows in them. It just, and especially in milk, it just gets really soggy and gross, taste like texturized. I do hmm. think I'd like them more if they had like a cute little bow on it, you know, like a little bow peep. <laughs> Take a lap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is the quality you guys wow. have been missing. <laughs> <laughs> now we're really getting good. <laughs> Almost 20 minutes in and haven't gotten through all three tree Listeners questions are yet. Gonna just find us and throw tomatoes at our places of work. <laughs> You're going to get egged again. Oh, gosh. I don't it could that. be worse. They could throw peeps at your house. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine just a thousand marshmallow like, birds on the side of my house. Oh, and they just oh. get baked in the sun and just melt all over the place. Oh, oh. That'd be the worst. Absolutely love it. All right. My... So option A, we have chicken scratch. B, chicken feed. C, chicken feet. Or D, chicken droppings. What were the first two? We Oh, man. <laughs> I did not write them down. We have chicken I also got to remember. It was chicken scratch. Chicken scratch, chicken, chicken feed, feed, chicken chi- feet, and chicken droppings. What is chicken scratch? Apparently a name for candy corn, possibly. Mm-hmm. Oh, what it was called? Yeah. Yes, originally. Oh, I thought it was what it was made of. Oh. No. <laughs> no. Option E is chicken parmesan. <laughs> chicken marsala. Um... Chicken a la carte. You know, I can't personally picture chicken droppings. I would not even be shocked if it, for some reason, looks similar to that. I, I mean, don't know. look, the taste lives up to the name, if that's the case. <laughs> that's true. But 
I'm going to say chicken feet. I'm going to say chicken scratch. The correct answer is chicken feed with a D. Wow, we're idiots. Now that I think about it, like it kind of looks like yeah. There, I know. mean, it's what just, chickens eat or what they feed on? Just you corn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was in honor of spooky season. Very nice. So yeah, a lot of birds getting in the mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we each had a bird in our question. Very avian questions today. I think that's. <laughs> sure, sure. All right. Are you guys ready? 21 minutes in. I to hear about some things. Oh, yeah. I'm going to try and make this quick because I, I have a lot of information that's going to get really confusing once we get towards the end. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to need you guys to ask me questions if you guys are lost because otherwise I'm probably just going to start rambling and you guys are definitely not going to understand what's oh. going on. Okay? okay. So. In 1899, Isabella Stewart Gardner broke ground on her largest personal endeavor, an art museum like none other. Filled with hundreds of priceless works, the art museum itself could be called a work of art. Or a masterpiece. Oh, bada bing, bada boo. <laughs> By the way, I am going to plug this. If you haven't played an old board game named Masterpiece, you're missing out. Yeah. Just don't get the forgeries. <laughs> yeah, right. Or play with keys and you'll know where they are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. However, in 1990, the museum lost a bit of its luster, or more accurately, it was stolen. On March 18th, the largest theft of private property occurred at the Gardner Museum. With a value of over $500 million in tow, two men came in and left without a trace. Who were these two masterminds and what happened to the art? Let's find out by going into the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum art theft. I already know what happened. Do you, did you I... watch the BuzzFeed video on this? No, I just know. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, they stole the pictures by jumping into another picture. <laughs> <laughs> One of the art pictures like came off the wall like yeah. a door, like yeah, a Harry Potter. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, for my sources, uh, BuzzFeed itself did a video on this that I'd seen in the past, so I kind of revisited that. Uh, I use GardnerMuseum.org, which is their official website. And then a new docuseries on Netflix just came out. It's four episodes called This is a Robbery, the World's Biggest Art Heist. And it's all about this. So those are my three main sources, mostly from the docuseries. But the other two gave me some other information as well. So Okay, cool, cool. Shall we? Yeah, we shall. The museum itself was built by Isabella Stewart Gardner, who was born into a wealthy New York family on April 14th, 1840. Almost the same birthday as me. Cute. Her father imported Irish linen and made sound investments, and that's how the, he amassed his fortune. And just before she turned 20, she married a man named John Lowell Gardner II, hence Isabella Stewart Gardner. So they had a son who sadly died before he turned two of pneumonia. And to lift her spirits, her husband took her traveling around the world. And eventually she ended up going to Harvard and she had a bunch of interest in art and this one of the professors at Harvard gave her recommendation that she should begin to collect art and so she began collecting rare books and manuscripts and eventually she funded a, another Harvard student's trip to Florence so that he could p- pursue a literary career but he became an esteemed art connoisseur instead instead of mm. pursuing literature 
So eventually he would go on to advise Isabella on her art purchases and help her acquire a lot of her rare works that she ends up with. So that's how she kind of got into the art world in like in the beginning. And she had money from her family. So she had obviously a lot of things that she could buy Mm -hmm. because she had all that money to throw. And her husband eventually died in 1898 and after that, she decided to continue their shared plan and purchase land to build a museum. So construction began in 1899 and was opened to public on New Year's Day of 1903. And before she even opened the museum, she wanted to test the acoustics of the museum, but she didn't want anyone to see the museum before it was officially open. So she had students from the School for the Blind come in and had them talk and stuff in the in the area so that she could hear how everything sounded and that way no one saw what happened but she could still get the the job done i mean i guess i understand that reasoning but it's like hey kids want to come to my brand new museum right check it out hey it's a field trip seems a bit unnecessary but yeah i'm I'm on board okay why do you need to check the acoustics if it's for just like a museum to look at things because they she had like a whole like plan for it on how she wanted it to be uh, because a lot of how she styled the museum and came up with the blueprints for it were from her trips over to Italy when she was in Venice. Oh. She styled the whole thing after Venetian palaces. So it looks really plain on the outside like it's just a square building, but on the inside it's super cool like there's I think three levels and each gallery has a different theme and stuff. And then in the middle, there's this huge open air atrium with a bunch of plants and stuff and a giant skylight overhead. Dang. It's really cool. That is awesome. Um, if we're not dead set on going to the apple orchard for our first outing. <laughs> um, you can go to Boston. Just the... had to take us. It's in Boston shot. too. I'd love to go here. It's soup. It looks so cool. Yeah. What are we even doing here now? Let's go. <laughs> It's okay. I'm sure there's an apple orchard in Boston. (laughs) That's the main stipulation of whether or not we go. So after her death in 1924, she left a large sum of money for operation of the museum and told everyone that was there that no piece of art should be sold and no new pieces of art should be acquired and the gallery should stay as they were when she left it. And she said that if any works were to be sold, they should go to auction at a prestigious art auction, and the money should go towards funding scholarships for students at, I believe, at Harvard. So she wanted all this art to either stay or go to a good cause. Oh, good for her. But yeah, like I said, it's the it, a Venetian-style palace located in Boston. And other than that, there's not really too much else on the history of the museum itself. So shall we get into the Night of the Heist? Yes, uh, I'm so, so this is a place you can still visit now. Or? Oh yeah, oh, okay. it's still open, and now all of the pieces that were stolen, like the the frames, are just sitting up empty, like awaiting the pieces to be returned if they ever get found. So it's kind of eerie, but I guess almost kind of like historically cool. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really want to go visit this place because. Like I said, each of the galleries has a different theme. So you walk into one room and it's a completely different atmosphere than the re- like another one. And yeah, it just looks really cool. That is super cool. Million dollar idea, though. They replicate the entire museum. And then you and a group of friends have to do the heist. Yes, yeah, that yeah, would be cool. Be fun. Like instead of an escape route, cut this out. We need to keep this for ourselves. <laughs> trademark, trademark, <laughs> trademark. Yeah. Yep. Audible trademark. <laughs> That's all you need. That's how the law works. <laughs> 
So on March 18th, 1990, the people of Boston were out still celebrating St. Patrick's Day downtown. However, two men were working their night shift doing security at the Gardner Museum. One of them, named Richard Abbott, was taking his, first, his rounds first and reported that a fire alarm went off around 12.30 a.m., but when checked, there was no fire. So the other uh, security guard, Randy Heaston, was at the front desk while Rick made his rounds. So Rick came to relieve Randy at around 12.45, at which point he unlocked the front door for an unknown reason, which was breaking protocol for security guards. At around 1.24 a.m., two men rang the buzzer outside the front door and told Rick that there were police officers responding to a disturbance. And after the fire alarm had gone off, and since it was St. Patrick's Day, he was like, okay, that makes some sense. And so he broke protocol again and let the buzz the men in, opening the door again. He claims that his reasons for doing this were because he didn't want to be arrested since he had tickets to a Grateful Dead show after work that day. Or be- because of the St. Patrick's Day events. So <laughs> this, <laughs> oh, nice. this guy's just looking out for number one. Yeah. Honestly, same. Like, if yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of get it. Like, well, and, and this guy was, he played in a local band, like mm-hmm. the house that he lived in. He lived with his bandmates, so they played shows in the basement all the time and stuff. So he was just a big musician guy. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I'm not missing that Grateful Dead show. Yeah. <laughs> right. Protecting art is not his passion. Let's it's say not, that. He's, he said, like, I'm pretty sure a quote from him was, I have to go to the most boring job in the world now. No. <laughs> because nothing ever happened there at night. Right. So either way, the two men were let in by Rick. They were both wearing Boston Police Department uniforms, and one of them told Rick that he thought he recognized him on an outstanding warrant. So he told Rick to come out from behind the desk so they could check his ID and make sure that he was who he said he was and cross-reference to see if he was like wanted for something. But... This was just to get him to come out of the guard room where there was only that was the only place there was a button to signal the police. So once he got out of the guard room, they pushed him against the wall and handcuffed him and told him that he was under arrest. And then a few minutes later, the other security guard came back and they did the same to him as well, at which point they told him this is a robbery. If you guys cooperate, you won't get hurt. At this point, the two men took Rick and Randy to the basement of the building taped their hands and feet and with rick specifically they taped his hands to a post in the basement and wrapped duct tape around the pretty much almost the entirety of his head so and there's there's pictures from the crime scene of people coming and finding them Mm -hmm. and it's really weird how they taped his head so basically imagine they like wrapped a thing of duct tape from the bottom of his chin or around the top of his head and then all the way under again, and then went around the back of his head, kind of over his eyes. So it was almost like a cross shape around his face. Mm -hmm. And no one really understood why they did that, because they could have just done tape around the back, around his eyes, and around his mouth if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. But they decided to tape all the way around his head for some reason. And then they taped his hands to the pole and his feet together. Also just kind of sounds like for shits and giggles. Honestly, like that makes no sense. And the cops were really confused by this, too, because if is they, it a sign? If they went this far to make sure that they didn't interfere with anything, they could have just shot him and then there wouldn't even be a witness or anything. But they left both of the guards alive after they had seen their faces 
and just left them in the basement. Maybe uh, they had too strong of a con- conscience. Maybe they didn't want to murder anybody. I guess. I just, I, it's, there's a lot of weird things that happen mm-hmm. in this that make it really confusing for the police to try and figure out what had actually happened. So, after spending time to make sure that the two guards were securely out of commission and that the cops weren't coming, the two men went upstairs to the second floor and split up to start taking art. In all, they ended up grabbing 13 works of art, ranging from extremely rare to somewhat valuable. The most important ones that they took were a Rembrandt painting called Christ in the Storm on the Sea of Galilee, which was Rembrandt's only seascape that he ever did, and a painting called The Concert by Johannes Vermeer, which was even more valuable than the Rembrandt painting. However, it appears that they grabbed some other pieces that weren't as worth it weren't worth as much in the same room as some of the more expensive pieces. So there's one painting that was the most expensive. I think it's called the rape of Titania or something like that. And that was the most valuable piece in the entire museum, but they Mm -hmm. left that one alone. And instead they grabbed some other like pretty much worthless items in comparison. For example, there was uh, an old Napoleonic flag that they tried to unscrew from the wall, but they couldn't get it. So they just took the small eagle, it's called a finial, which is basically just at the top of a flagpole, the the eagle or whatever is on top. So they just took that off and took that with them and left with that instead of the flag, which no one really understands why they would take that because it's not really worth anything. And they they grabbed another, like it was a, I think a Chinese vase called a goo, which is, it's not, it's worth a good amount. Like it's worth probably like, forty fifty thousand dollars but it's not worth like anywhere near as much as these paintings were or anything so is it at all possible they just straight up didn't know what what was or wasn't worth something well that's the thing it's like they went through a lot of steps as you'll see they went through a lot of steps that seems like they had cased this place beforehand because they did so many things that someone wouldn't have known to do unless they had planned this ahead of time so if they did all the planning to get in, you would think that they would have come and seen what is worth the most. Maybe, but maybe that is where it stops. Maybe because I mean, it's not like they could just Google it because they you know just like when this took place, right? This is this 1990, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, you would think so if they're smart, smart enough to do a quality heist, then you would think they're smart enough to know what they want to steal, especially at an art but, museum specifically. Like you would think that I'm gonna say something really weird. May, is there? I don't know why this would happen. Is there any chance that they were at this art museum previously? I'm just thinking, and we're like, what if we robbed this place? Like, I don't know. They were there anyway for some reason. And then they're like, what if we just robbed this place? Like, it'd be really easy. We kind of know that there's not that many guards here. Right. Let's they saw like a guard probably yeah. just on a shift. It's like this would be really easy. Also, it's like what nineteen? It's nineteen ninety. Oh, 1990. Gotcha. So then you kind of consider the fact like the t- the duct tape in the dude's head was like weird. And then uh, they took random things. I mean, you said they took some good stuff, but it's just there's some randomness happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe these guys were smart enough to know how to get into the place. I mean, evidently how to get out. I mean, obviously James can give us more details, but maybe they weren't super smart to the point of like knowing what to steal or like what to take. Right. They probably weren't like very heavy art connoisseurs or had a background in what would be worth a lot i I assume and that's the thing that i thought as well when it go like going into this that it could just be two random people that decided hey 
let's try doing this and they just got lucky like by chance this worked out for them but also they had police department uniforms and stuff to get into the building so Mm. you had to have some a little at least a little bit of planning ahead of time to do this so i feel like if i were going through all of the trouble to get the outfits and plan this out then i'd figure out what is probably worth the most here and especially if it's taking me a lot of time to try and get this one napoleonic flag off the wall and it's not working i'd just be like all right then i'll just leave it i agree i think the flag was a dumb move but i think even relatively moderately intelligent people can have can do something that's just dumb yeah so i think the flag clearly is just objectively dumb what they were like they were there they were like oh let's take this too or something but i i'm starting to think about it and even i who can like google it i could look it up and that'd be easier but I don't know that much about what is or isn't worth whatever at museums right. I've been to. So if I was just going to, and I, I mean, it's hard to put yourself in their shoes, but if I was just going to start stealing stuff, I might look at something and be like, that looks kind of cool. I bet you that's worth something. Even that bowl or whatever you, th- that you yeah, said they took, like, I was like, that I, just looks like a cool artifact. Mm-hmm. I'm taking that. You yeah. Know, I don't know. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, at, at the vase is weird because it's not worth like all that much comparatively. And seeing a vase i wouldn't really think to grab it like it could have just yeah, been a decorative yeah. vase that they put out for oh, for true. shits and gigs you know yeah, yeah. it was actually just a candy bowl yeah, it, like, <laughs> it could have been worthless like it could have been from walgreens or something but yeah. they decided to take i guess it's easy enough to just grab it and go well you know how they could have made sure that those don't get taken it's just filling with candy corn <laughs> <laughs> well if they like like the end they finally get all the art back to wherever their hideout and they look at the back and it just says forgery. So anyways, when they got too close to one of the paintings, an alarm signaling that someone was standing too close to the painting, like for guests, if they got too close, this alarm would go off as like a proximity sensor. It started going off, so they just smashed it. So they kind of just went around that. And they, they didn't, I don't know if they knew that, hey, this alarm could be signaling the police if it goes off kind of thing. I don't know if they knew that it wouldn't. Wait, what set off the alarm? They got too close to the painting. It was like a proximity sensor. So like if you got within like a foot of it or whatever, it would go off saying you're too close. Like Mickey Cage, National Treasure type stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What a movie. You don't (laughs) don't need to get out into that. Um, So they just smashed it. Yeah, I don't know if they knew it didn't call the police or just got lucky by just keeping going but uh for the paintings like i said the vase is easy enough to just grab but a lot of the paintings like the rembrandt and the uh the concert by vermeer they were cut pretty like crudely out of the frames they weren't unscrewed from the back and taken out like properly did they likely damage them oh well they yeah they cut them like with razor blades pretty much out of the frames and like they said, they're pretty like viciously cut out for some of them. So I'm not even an art guy, and that makes me mad. I know, and I know. And they said in the documentary, they're like these were multi-layered canvas paintings because these are like original canvas paintings from whenever they were actually painted. So it's not like it's just a single layer or like a poster. It, you have to really cut through this to get it out. But they cut the big ones out and then for some of the smaller ones they took the time to take the frames off like there was an etching it was i don't remember what it was made of i think it was like a tin etching or something of rembrandt it was like a self-portrait and they took the time to get that out of the frame it's just this little thing so they could have just put the entire frame in pretty much in a coat pocket and left yeah but they decided to take the time to take that out so 
their methods are just all over the place. And I don't know if that's just one of these guys versus another guy where mm-hmm. one guy took the time to do it and the other guy didn't, but I don't know. So that's why investigators were pretty confused by it, all of this. So in all, the two men were in the building for 81 minutes total. So they were almost in the building for an hour and a half. And that's a pretty brave move to like to spend that much time if you aren't sure that the cops are coming or not because they could just come in at any moment mm-hmm. and you'd be dead dead in the water pretty much but they just either knew that they weren't or just got lucky and 48 of those 81 minutes were spent in the building without tripping any of the uh, sensor alarms which means that they were most likely spent with the guards like put taking them down to the basement and all that so over half the time they spent in here, they didn't even spend stealing anything. So they were just standing around. I just keep on thinking of the two uh, two robbers from Home Alone. Oh, the like wet Marvin and Harry. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just those two. The what bandits. Yeah. Like Harry's leaves the one the being super running, careful. Leaves the sink running at every place he hits. <laughs> yes, was the sink running at the museum? It was not. Mm. Not that I know of, at least. So... A lot of the time they spent was with the guards, and then they also went into the guard area where all of the, uh, like, were behind the desk, basically. And they took the surveillance camera tapes that were from that night and smashed all of them. And they also took the printouts from the the sensor alarms that printed off. Basically, they had alarms in all of the gallery rooms, and when you walked into the room, it would trip the, the sensor, saying someone entered this room at this time. And then when you went back out, it would trip it again. So they took the printoffs of those sheets when they left. So and then they also left a frame for one of the paintings called, I think it's Che Tortoni, I believe is how you pronounce it. It's a smaller painting. And they left the, uh, the frame of that painting on the head guard's chair behind the desk and then left. So they took two trips in all out of the museum to take the paintings out, and then they left after that, leaving the guards in the basement tied up and everything. So that's how the heist went down. Mm-hmm. So the two guards, Rick and Randy, were not found until almost 8 a.m. the next morning by the guards that were coming in to relieve them for the day shift because one of the guards came and the doors were still locked and no one was letting them in. So she called the head of security, and they went around to a back door, came in, and pretty much saw that the doors were opened at the at night for some reason, and there was door handles broken off of different doors and crowbar laying on the ground and stuff. So they pretty much knew that some, something had gone down. And it was funny because she was recounting the story about how things went down, and she says that they walked in and found the crowbar on the ground, and the head of security grabs the crowbar, gives it to her, and says, here, take this. <laughs> and she goes... Okay, first of all, this is a crime scene. Now my hands are on this. Yeah. So my fingerprints are on this. And secondly, he gave this to me thinking that maybe there's someone still in here and I might have to beat someone. Yeah. <laughs> so she's got all of these thoughts running through her head like, what is happening? Right. Yeah. But they eventually found the two in the basement and they called the police who came and started to log what had happened. So this is the local Boston PD. And the thing with the police department with it being St. Patrick's Day, a lot of the force for the police department was downtown making sure that things were under control for the St. Patrick's Day celebration because St. Patrick's Day in Boston is oh, a big to-do. Yeah. yeah, so 
all a lot of the force was downtown, which means that it was pretty lax and quiet in this part of like Boston. So the cops showed up and then the FBI eventually showed up to photograph the scene as well as the two guards, which is where we get pictures of Rick and how he was taped up in the basement, as well as all of the frames laying on the ground and like the, the the head guard area and stuff like that. Do you think whoever took that picture asked him to smile? Like, smile. <laughs> it's funny because like, he, he just looks so indifferent in the pictures. He's like, doesn't look upset, doesn't look sad or anything. He's just kind of sitting there like, this is fine. He just really needed to pee. <laughs> Probably. Oh, I bet. Because it was like this hippie dude. So he had really long hair and a beard and he was wearing a fanny pack and like reddish purple pants and stuff. Oh, so it's stuff just was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like this guy didn't ask for any of this. Wait, is this right? the guy who missed his concert? He, yeah. He probably, oh. well, I don't know if he missed the concert or not, but he had tickets to it. So I'm, I'm assuming he missed it because he was probably getting questioned. But surprised. Like, I assume he's going with the friends. Like, probably. Why didn't the friend, like, well, the concert yeah. was like later in the day because he was working the overnight shift. So oh, it was. Duh. Yeah, it would have been sense. the day after his shift ended, basically. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So they photographed everything, and they did find that the motion detector alarm printouts were taken, but the hard drive in the machine still had all the data logged, so they were able to recover all that, which is pretty obvious that that would be a thing that the guards would still have. Right. I guess they were just in a hurry to get out of there. The robbers, that is. The only piece of art stolen from the first floor is that small painting called the Che Tortoni that had the frame left on the uh, head guard's chair. And it was curious because those printouts showed that the only person going into the, the room that it was in called the Blue Room was Rick doing his rounds that night. So he was the last person to have been logged going into that room. But that picture was taken by the, the two thieves. So that raised some alarms because Rick was the one working. He was the one that let them in. And like pretty much everything that happened was because he opened that door. Mm-hmm. So this is where the cops started to look at him a little suspiciously, saying maybe he had something to do with it. Even if he wasn't directly involved, if he was just like an accomplice somehow, that he was just told, do this for us and... Maybe they had something on him or whatever. I don't know. But anyways, so the museum was actually currently undergoing an overhaul of the security system, or at least they got consulted by a security expert on how they should upgrade the system because it was a little outdated. And they were told, uh, I don't remember how long before this, but they were told by someone that there was people targeting the museum for a heist. And that's what actually like spurred them to get those motion detectors and they got CCTV cameras, but only on the outside of the building. Mm. So they didn't have any cameras inside that were watching anything. It was just those motion detectors. So that was why they even had that, but they were still pretty outdated at that point. And this is 1990. There's plenty of security cameras you can get and stuff like that. That would be a lot better and something that would send a signal to the police at least because none of this did that. The only thing that would have is the button behind the, the counter. So the timing was pretty much perfect for these guys to come and do this heist, which is another thing that leads to leans towards them having prior information and planning to do this. And with that blue room security sensor not going off as well as the amount of time the thieves had and their knowledge of the security system, it, it pretty much just 
all of the investigators said there's no way this was just a random occurrence. Right. With the footage the night before, they pulled that tape because it wasn't smashed, but that was that wasn't pretty much anything to do with the heist directly. But it, it shows that Rick let another man through that front door the night before, which he's not supposed to do in any circumstance, but he did it two nights in a row. And it was later told by a former security employee that was most likely the uh, deputy museum director, Larry O'Brien, in the video. But it doesn't really seem like anyone confirmed that for sure. And this video was never released to the public until like 20 years after this happened. So no one had seen this. It was just buried like in an archive, basically. And so a lot of the people investigating were, they just laughed and said, why was this not a thing that we had seen yet? Why was this hidden from us until now? Yeah. So regardless, this points to Rick being somewhat involved in this case or being at least a person of interest because there's a lot of signs pointing to him. Yeah, it's either like he's in like in on it or he's just extremely careless. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he, it's it's funny because he admits like to his employer, yeah, I've come to work high before after like doing my shows and stuff. So he's not hiding the fact that he's been under the influence when he comes to work. But he swears up and down that this night he was not under the influence of anything. Hmm. In all, the evidence that was collected by the FBI and the police combined wasn't really that thorough because since it was 1990, a lot of the evidence that would have been collected in a modern case, if say if this happened today, it wasn't taken as a priority because they didn't really have the same technology to process a lot of that evidence. And so they just kind of left it there. Like there's a picture that shows a hair on the ground next to one of the screws from one of the paintings. And it Apparently, they just never took that hair. They just took a picture of it. So they don't have that for DNA or anything. The only thing that really was taken as huge evidence was fingerprints Mm -hmm. because they have a fingerprint log. But that was what they took as highest priority. And the largest piece of evidence that they would have had with the fingerprints would have been the duct tape from the two guards. And so one of the investigators who was there at the case the day that it happened or the day after it happened, I suppose. He said, yeah, we could have taken that duct tape, even though it was rolled up in a ball after it was used, we could have put it, I believe it was in liquid nitrogen and it would have taken the bonding properties out of the tape and they could have straightened it out and tested it for fingerprints. So that was their, like one of the big keys. They're like, we can use this. This will help. This will give us a huge step up on what we're trying to find. But as in all good unsolved cases, the tape went missing Never to be found again. Probably just got thrown away. Yeah, like the person that like took it off him just tossed it. Well, because yeah. there's a picture of it taken off him. And it's just in a bundle on the floor. So I guess really? I guess no one ever grabbed it and took it in as evidence. They just tossed it. I feel like that's yeah probably what happened. These robbers are just the luckiest people. Serious. They had so many things go right for them. Right. Because the way you get into the museum is you have to be buzzed through that first door. That mm-hmm. un- the buzzer unlocks the door. And then you're stuck in between another door and that outside door. So you're pretty much just stuck in limbo if the person doesn't come and open that second door for you. And he could have seen, okay, these people aren't police officers. I'm just going to leave them stuck in here and I'm going to call the police. And now they're just sitting ducks. But they somehow got through that second door as well and got into the museum. So there's so many steps that could have 
gone wrong for them along the way that could have easily gotten them caught, but everything went perfectly in order for them. It's almost better to be lucky in this case than to be, like, genius. Exactly. Like, granted, they did have a lot of planning, it sounds like, but they definitely got super lucky. Yeah. Especially the investigation. So, with that tape gone, they pretty much only had the pictures and stuff that they had taken the day of, witness testimony from the guards, printouts of the security centers, and a witness statement from uh, two younger people who were returning from a St. Patrick's Day party and passed the car that these police office, these fake police officers were sitting in. And they said they got pretty good looks at the guys in the car. And they said they were sitting in a blue or gray hatchback outside of the, the museum and they gave statements to the Boston police of what they saw. And once the sketches came out of what the guards told them they looked like, these two witnesses pretty much said that's not what we really saw at all. Like, that's not how we remember them looking. Mm-hmm. And they said they, because they were walking past the car looking at them the whole time, they said they got a pretty good look. So they gave their own statement and, like... Apparently, the Boston Police Department never passed it on to the FBI, or they did, and no one ever contacted these two witnesses again, because that was the only time they ever talked to anyone. So they were kind of mad, like, we were eyewitnesses, and no one ever came and talked to us. So that's pretty much all of the evidence that they have at this point. And they believe that the motive for this theft is either a collateral theft or a prepaid job by some sort of wealthy person who told them, to grab these certain things because obviously you're not going to be able to sell these things on an open market. It's going to be flagged immediately as stolen art. Right. So it's either black market. Someone gave you money in advance to do this or collateral. And by collateral theft, I mean, someone stole the paintings either in preparation to be used as a bargaining chip to help someone else get out of prison as say, we'll work with the FBI and give you this stolen art back. If you let, say one of our bosses out of prison early or like commute a sentence down to a shorter one Hmm. or they needed the art to pay back a debt say they made a deal with someone buying some drug like a lot of drugs or something and they didn't have the money up front so they took this art and used that as a payment instead of trying to make the money basically so those were the like the most likely options oh because what else is there as an option, really? And at the time, the art was worth around $200 million. And for today's currency, it would be close to five to $600 million. The art that he did take was yeah. worth that? Okay. Yeah. So that's the total value of all of the pieces taken. So it's not like they completely botched the robbery from Oh, Stanley. no. It's yeah. still the largest yeah. heist in history, oh, okay. at least reported. So, I mean, almost over half a billion dollars that's so, insane wait that's the largest in history i feel like they topped that in oceans 11 <laughs> <laughs> or in tower heist yeah right so after the first day a lot of the leads began to dry up and according to the boston police as well as museum executives the fbi didn't really show as much interest in the case as they had hoped they would because at the same time the fbi was working on taking down a lot of the mafia guys like for racketeering and stuff like that. Oh. <laughs> so they were so they were a lot more focused on busting those guys rather than focusing on the art heist because mm. as they put it in the documentary that's how you got your name put up in the in the books for 
like the FBI, you got that's how you moved up the ranks was taking down a mafia guy. If you took down a guy that's high up in the family, obviously you're gonna get some good recommendations from your superiors. So for reference, at the start of this case, there are 45 agents on it, and after a few months, it was basically down to one guy. So that's how many resources were diverted to other places after a very short amount of time. And it was an intern. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just one guy gets the entire brunt of this after not even half a year. It's insane. Uh, so between 1990 and 1997, the interest in the case dwindled a lot because there wasn't really anybody writing about it and there wasn't really any new leads or anything. And so eventually they had to raise the reward for the art's return and more interest kind of came back to the case. So it still sits at $10 million for the reward for the return of the paintings or a partial reward if you return some of it. So that's where it still sits. But since then, there's never been any arrests made, and none of the art has ever been found. Have they ever... Oh, so no arrests, so not even, like, no one's ever been questioned on this, really? That's what we're going to go into now. Yeah. Uh, but there hasn't been any formal arrests or anyone taking in, taken into custody for this. And a part of the reason for that is because a lot of the people involved or who they think were involved in this ended up dying shortly after this because... The mafia in Boston was pretty active around mm-hmm. this point. So, ooh, what if they stole a cursed painting? What if they actually did fall into the paintings? They could have became part of the painting. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a Napoleonic painting. Everyone's in like the garb of the time, and then there's just Marvin <laughs> Harry. The... If you have any leads leading to the finding of these paintings, please email Gems of History Podcast at Chief. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we need some money. (laughs) Money, please. So for the suspects, the first person the cops looked at was Rick, the uh, security guard, Uh, for obvious reasons. We've kind of gone through a few of them. For one thing, he let them into the building, and then seemingly the two thieves knew about the alarm system, at least to some extent. And so they believe that he might have somehow let it slip to someone that there's a very lax security system there's only two of us on at night and maybe he wasn't even intentionally doing it. He needed to set it in passing to someone and the wrong person heard it. And with him being the last one triggering the alarm in that blue room, it was pretty suspicious on his end. And one of the other security guards did say on the, the, uh, the documentary that they would test these triggers every once in a while when they were on their shifts, and it wasn't 100% foolproof that they would go off. Sometimes they just wouldn't trigger. But in that blue room, there's one in the doorway going into the room and one in the doorway going out the other side of the room. So theoretically, unless they went through the same door twice, they would have had to go through two sensors, and the the, uh, likelihood of both of those failing or one of them failing twice I feel like is pretty low. I feel like at least one of them would trigger at some point. So, as I said, he swears that he was not on any drugs that night, and he was never arrested officially and maintains that he wasn't involved in the case to this day, and he basically said he's just happy to be alive because he very easily probably could have died if these people took that route. Mm -hmm. You were there that night? (laughs) So he's pretty much been cleared, and as one of the investigators said, if he did have something to do with it, he would have probably been arrested by now. And since he hasn't been arrested to this point, that he's probably not 
anything to do with it, but huh. it's still suspicious. Mm-hmm. At, like you said, I think it was just that he was very lax about everything. He wasn't very, like, strict about the rules. Right, like, what security guard is just about to die for yeah. this, these paintings? And uh, one of the things, too, is the guy that he was working with got called into work like an hour before their shift started and he had never worked the night shift before because there was an older guy that worked security at night usually but he was like part-time and he didn't really need the job he just did it because he liked it and they said that he called in a lot because if it was raining too hard or something he and he wouldn't want to drive or if he just was too tired to come in that day he would call in and that's pretty much what happened but they said if he would have been there that night, he would have been at the desk instead of Rick, most likely, and this probably would have never happened. But it it's just another lucky break for the people that did this. Yeah. So, so it's like for real crazy, like all these all these little It's points. little it's just little coincidences that end up working out in their favor. Wait, yeah. so Rick, the guy they were suspicious of, wasn't even supposed to work that night? No, he was. The guy oh, that he was with oh, wasn't. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. And he, the guy that he was with was normally a daytime security, yeah, not yeah. night. So he wasn't ever on this shift and didn't really know the ins and outs, but it also feels like Rick would have said something to the guys who were robbing it by accident or maybe or something that would have tipped off the other guard if they had known each other previously i feel like yeah i wonder if they i'm imagining they must have interviewed that other guard and been like did you notice anything weird like interactions between the three of them or whatever right but well and the thing with the other guard too is he was doing rounds and pretty much came back and immediately got handcuffed and duct taped up so he didn't really even have any time to react mm-hmm. pretty much because he just saw brick up against the wall with two what he thought were police officers so i'm sure he was just like what's going on like is everything okay kind of thing so it's like additional footage is finally found rick gives the robbers a fist bump (laughs) (laughs) he just hands them the paintings that's so funny in fact one actually parked the car (laughs) (laughs) so uh, the second person of interest was a man named Miles Connor, and he was a notorious art thief in the area, and he'd been arrested multiple times for art theft and other crimes. I believe he had actually killed a couple people in process of art heists, or at least So injured. how is he out and about? He was the one that they looked at right away, and he was pretty much the most well-known art thief in this in the Boston area. So he clearly wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. But he was in prison at the time. So it wasn't him, but they looked to him to say, you're the one that has all the connections in this type of work. So maybe you have something you could tell us. And like I said earlier about the uh, collateral paintings theft, he had once been out on bail and they told him, one of the FBI guys jokingly told him, oh, the only way you're going to get this sentence reduced after we actually do your sentencing is to steal a Rembrandt or something like that and give it to us. So that's what he did. (laughs) So he went to a different museum that he knew had a Rembrandt painting that was on loan to the museum and uninsured. So he got a crew together, went to this museum, pretty much walked in with a tour group, broke off from the group, took the painting off the wall, and when the security guards all came to come like, stop him, he had one of his other guys with him pretty much shoot at their feet as they came down the stairs. And he said, I told them not to shoot any of these guys, just shoot at their feet to make sure that they back off. But one of the guards was just like, I'm not giving up on this. 
So he chases him down, grabs onto the painting, and as Miles is trying to jump into the back of the van to get away, another guy is in the back with a gun, and Miles jumps in, and this guy's pretty much just dragging on the painting, and Miles is like, don't shoot him. And so the guy just hits him with his gun a couple times, and the guy finally lets go, and they get away. I mean, props that security yeah. guard, but dang. Wow. This guy was he not. wanted it bad. Yeah, he was not wow. letting this happen. He better have gotten a raise, <laughs> yeah. a promotion. Because he's the city. Yeah. Well, because yeah. a lot of what Miles said, a lot of the places that he would steal from, they had really lax security. It was just older guys that volunteered, basically. Mm-hmm. But this place was like a larger scale museum, and they had ex-police officers that were working there as security. So oh, these wow. guys were actually legitimate. Like, it was a lot of guards and a right. lot of trained guards. So... But yeah, he wasn't. He stole that Rembrandt painting, gave it to the feds, and he got two four-year sentences combined into a single four-year sentence for returning it. So he used his own theft as a bargaining chip to commute his sentence down. Wow! And so that set a precedent in that type of work that if you steal something worth value from an art like museum or anywhere, that you can use it as kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. So that's where. The, the idea that this collateral theft might have been an option for maybe a mob boss that had gotten stung by the FBI during all those other uh, arrests mm-hmm. or like someone who had gotten arrested before that. But Miles Connor was scratched off the list because he was in jail. So at that point, the FBI kind of turned towards the mafia or organized crime and said maybe someone in this organized crime had commuted this theft for some reason or another. So the first person that they looked at was a man named Bobby Donati, and he what a name he was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's gonna be a lot of Bobbies and like Vinnies in this story. So so Italian. Yeah, hurts. this is where it gets really mucky for because I tried to follow their like line of logic as best I could, but they're going through like three separate mob families in this documentary, listing all of the people that were involved, and there's like three Bobbies and like all of these other weird names that I can't remember and so it's just like i don't remember who's connected with who or who's like against who so if you guys have any questions just ask because it might get a little confusing so bobby donati actually was a friend of miles connor and he had organized a different art heist and in that art heist is when miles connor actually got caught and so he was he knew that bobby was smart and could plan out a heist well but at the time, Bobby pretty much used Miles as a scapegoat to get caught for him. And Bobby Donati was also friends with another mob family, and that was headed by a man named Vinny Ferrara. And so he was a pretty well-known figure in the mob at that time. And he was apparently like a pretty savage guy. Like He didn't really hold anything back, but he was... Uh, Bobby Donati was Vinny's driver. They're pretty good friends based on that. And so, according to reports, while he was close to Vinny, they kind of knew that the Gardner Museum was vulnerable. And so, that's when the FBI kind of started tailing them, and Bobby, in, in uh, specifically Bobby. And so, they kind of trailed him to a place that was known as the Shack in like <laughs> local circles. And apparently... According to reports, Bobby Donati walked in with a bag that held two police officer uniforms, and 
I don't know what they talked about, but if he's carried a bag with two police uniforms and then two police officers, in quotes, show up to steal some art, it's a little suspicious. Yeah, just a little bit. Especially because I believe it was shortly after the heist that Vinny got arrested for being involved in organized crime because this is when Boston kind of started really cracking down on it. So at the same time as this was when a lot of the traditional revenue that the different mob families had been making kind of dried up. So they were kind of like looking for ways to make money. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that people say is a motivation that they could have just needed some sort of way to make some money. And they came up with this idea to steal all this art. And if they already knew that it was vulnerable, you might as well go take it. But after all of this, he was, it was, I believe, in 1991, Bobby Donati was found shot and decapitated in the trunk of a car in a parking lot. Oh, so wow. obviously they're not going to be able to question him <laughs> if he's already dead. Well, I mean, what if they tried it? I mean, did anyone try? Like, I- sir. Where were you on this night? It's, it was so hard to get any information out of these people because... They didn't have heads? <laughs> that. But they, they show how they kind of went around. Like these people? <laughs> <laughs> That's headist. <laughs> they show in the documentary how these interviewers would try and... Or like investigators would go around to these neighborhoods and try and interview people. And... These neighborhoods are so tightly knit communities because everyone knew everyone and they were all probably involved in something somewhere or another. So nobody would rat on anybody else. They said, like, for example, if you were in a bar and you saw someone get shot and there are 20 other people that saw it happen and saw who did it and they came to get interviewed by the police, nobody would say anything. They would all say they didn't see anything. So that was kind of what they were trying to deal with when they were trying to get any information out of these people. So even trying to find this guy was probably difficult, especially if you knew that he had already committed this crime and was mm-hmm. trying to hide it. I'm sure he wasn't the most available guy. That was kind of another, that was a dead end because literally he was dead. So can't really do much on that end. So the next target was a man named Carmelo Mer- Merlino and his crew of guys. So he owned an auto repair shop outside of the Boston area and these guys would regularly gather there to like discuss different mob operations as well as make deals. So the FBI had been kind of staking this place out just to watch to make sure that if something did happen, maybe they could catch them all right away. So various members that were of interest in this group were David Turner, Carlos Papas, Lenny DiMuzio, George Reisfelder, and the late Bobby Donati. So I'm going to throw a lot of names at you and... They'll come up again. Well, some of them will come up again later, but if you have questions about who's who, (laughs) just let me know. So each of these men were pretty much tailed and suspected one at a time, and it was believed that they all had some sort of knowledge or at least some role to play in this theft, but they didn't really know who specifically to go after at each time. But one of the men that they decided to tail was George Reisfelder, and he was one of the men who seemed to fit the criteria the best because the two witnesses that saw the men in the car outside the museum, they said that one of the men had darker skin complexion, dark medium length hair. And he, then they said that he was in a, they're in a blue or gray hatchback. 
And so after 16 years in prison on a wrongful conviction, Reisfelder was let out. And yeah, so that was a whole other thing where he was convicted of something he didn't do and spent almost two decades in prison. Oh, wow. But after he got out is when the real story begins because his sister-in-law is interviewed in the docuseries and told a story about how George called her and said, hey, I need help hanging up a painting at my house. And according to her, the painting that he was hanging was the stolen Monet, Monet, Manet painting, the the Che Tortoni, that smaller one that the frame was left. Mm -hmm. So she apparently looked at it and said it was in like this nice gold frame and he was hanging it above his bed. And when she was being interviewed by investigators later on, she was there flipping through the pages of the stolen art and she came to that one and she was like, oh, I recognize that one. And she was concerned that they're going to try and like arrest her for being involved. She's like, I just saw it. I wasn't, I had nothing to do with it. But also according to her, she said that Reisfelder at one point had owned a blue or gray hatchback similar to the one that was seen outside. So everything's kind of lining up that this guy might have been involved, but unfortunately he was also run through by the mafia and ended up dead but it was indirect because he overdosed on cocaine. Oh. So I don't know if it was his own fault or if someone maybe like did it and staged it to be mm. his a suicide or an accident. But what what an incredible move though just hang that type of art. Right? Cuz I I mean I guess I don't know what kind of apartment or place he was living at but I can't imagine it would be worth hanging up a at least 500 grand ish painting. Right. It's yeah, so it's pretty much lining up that he was probably involved, but once again, can't interview him if he's dead. I definitely didn't do it. <laughs> Painting. <laughs> it was sad though because like after he got out of prison, they there's a clip of him being interviewed and or not interviewed, but he said basically, yeah, when I was growing up, my mom used to tell me if you didn't do anything wrong, then you're not going to have anything to worry about. And then he ends up in prison for almost two decades for something he didn't do. Rough. Yeah. So it it kind of is unfortunate the way that his life turned out. But mm. I mean, he probably didn't help himself. But I mean, after being in prison for 16 years, it's going to be hard to get a new start. So oh, yeah. if you already have ties to people in the mob and you have nothing else going for you, you might as well go back to that. So almost everyone else in that crew that I listed earlier ended up dead by either murder or natural causes relatively soon after the crime, like within like at least two or three years for most of them. So one of the only ones alive, I believe he's still alive today, is David Turner, and he just got out of prison in 2019 for unrelated crimes and pretty much refuses to speak about this because I'm sure he's heard it plenty of times. So most people do believe that if he did know something he would have told the fbi after he was released from prison in order to collect reward money or like have immunity going forward for any involvement and he hasn't come forward so it's most likely that he didn't or just refuses to say that he was involved he also maybe just wasn't in on this one i don't know yeah and like his name comes up a lot like there's records of rental cars from him around this time that he took out and then returned and stuff like that. So that was suspicious, but they really don't have anything to definitively tie him to the crime. So it was hard. 
like I said, for them to get a lot of information from a lot of these neighborhoods. So they really didn't have a lot of leads. But one of the biggest leads that the cops got was from a man named William Youngworth. And while Miles Connor was in prison, William Youngworth was watching over his stuff. And so Miles Connor had a like a shipping container, basically, or like a whatever you want to call it, sent to him with all his stuff in it. And while Miles was in prison, the Youngworth was going through all his stuff and selling some of it off without telling Miles Connor about it. <laughs> and I still my Cabana shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my shirts. <laughs> so. Apparently, when he was going through some of this stuff, which Miles Connor, you would have liked, love this guy because he collects a lot of like Japanese swords and stuff like that. I'm listening. Like genuine katanas and stuff, which he said the most expensive one that he owns, I think, is worth almost five hundred thousand dollars. Oh my god! So he's got a lot of really cool stuff. Is it actually the one used by Tom Cruise? I have no idea. <laughs> Um, but he said when he was going through all this stuff, he supposedly came across some of the stolen art from the Isabel Gardner Museum. And so he went to a reporter and said, hey, I might have some of this art. And at the time, he was in the middle of court hearings for unrelated crimes and basically said, if I can return this art, I want to get off of these crimes and I also want Miles Connor to get out. So... The reporter is like, well, you got to give me some sort of proof that you have this because I'm not just going to take your word for it. And mm-hmm. I don't think any of the FBI will either. So apparently they went to a, this like warehouse location and the reporter met him there and he had this tube that he unrolled and it supposedly looked like it was the Christ in the Storm of the Sea of Galilee painting. And it was just a like a dark warehouse room. So it wasn't like a well-lit area that he could see it like really well. So he doesn't know if it was a forgery or if it was actually what it he claims it was. So he told the, uh, the reporters or the reporter told the uh, FBI that, and they said, well, that's still, we're just going on his word and your word at this point. So he told Youngworth, we need more out of you to like prove this. So he sent some paint chips from one of the paintings to the, uh, the newspaper that this reporter worked for and they got it tested by a guy in Chicago who tests paint chips and stuff like that for authenticity and to see like the chemical makeup to determine where it's from and he said it was legitimate like paint from this time period where these paintings would have been but the colors didn't really match any of the colors in that painting or the art that was stolen pretty much so they were like well that's still doesn't really tell us all that much and after this William Youngworth kind of left town because he was scared that when Miles Connor got out he would figure out that he was selling all his stuff and come (laughs) after him and he just didn't really want to deal with like all of the questions and stuff anymore because Mm -hmm. the FBI pretty much said we're not going to deal with two criminals because they're trying to extort us so that was another dead end that was somewhat promising at first but So in 2013, the FBI held a press conference claiming that they had solved the case and figured out who did it. So they did this whole big to-do on national television saying, we figured out who the suspects are and we're almost entirely confident that these 
or the people that did it. And then they just pretty much walked away and they didn't say who it was. So everyone's like, are you going to tell us who it is? And they're like, not at this time. No way, and for real. Eventually, the names did come out. I don't remember how or if like it was leaked or what happened, but at this press conference, they pretty much didn't say anything. They just said, yeah, we figured it out. See ya. That is the funniest like police reporting I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's so aggravating. So later it did come out, and the names of the people involved were George Reisfelder and Lenny DiMuzio, who were two of the people that were a part of... Carmelo Merlino's crew. Mm-hmm. And so apparently, I think it was in 2006, one of George Reisfelder's old cellmates came forward and told authorities that Reisfelder had confessed to him to be of being part of the heist. So that's how they kind of got the information that they needed to confirm it. But since Lenny and Reisfelder were both dead at like almost a year, like less than a year, or less than two years after the heist, it, they didn't have them to interview specifically or arrest them. So they pretty much just said, we know who did it, but we can't really do anything. There's still no arrest made. Yeah. So it's still an open case. No one has ever convicted. The art's still missing. And the $10 million reward still stands for anyone who returns the art or provides information that will lead to the return of the art. But pretty much nobody has an, any idea where it is right now or if it still exists because it could have been destroyed. Uh, so if you do have any information, if any of our listeners somehow know, uh, you can call the director of security, Anthony Amor, at 617-278-5114 or email reward at gardnermuseum.org. But I can't imagine the spam that email gets. <laughs> right? But yeah, that's the story. That is super interesting. And if you want to watch the docuseries, they... They're way more thorough than I just was, and it's probably going to be a lot more easy to follow if you just watch that. But no, I, I would, dude, I thought you painted that picture very <laughs> well. Uh, honestly, that was pretty easy to follow. That you broke that down pretty nicely. But crazy story, super cool. It seems like they were really sloppy, though. I just feel like they yeah. were not that. They got lucky, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. I also wonder if one of the mob bosses visited that museum kind of often and for as much as he wanted to take stuff that was worth a lot of money actually had favorites that he like sent them in yeah. there specifically to take and maybe that's why some of it was a little more strange and that, right. that's kind of what i think i think someone probably paid these guys ahead of time to steal this and then they just kept it in their private collection somewhere yeah i don't i i just don't think that it would have been sold on the black market especially with that much heat surrounding it but mm-hmm. I guess I don't really know how black market art dealing goes. Yeah, right. So, it, I mean... Or most, even regular art dealing. Yeah, I have no I, idea. <laughs> I mean, most of it on the black market, I'm assuming, is stolen at it anyways. So I guess it's probably not that far-fetched that this stuff would get sold somewhere else. But, yeah, they, they had a ton of leads from random people saying, oh, it got sold to this person over in Europe or this person over in Japan. So they traveled all over the world following these leads, and they're all just dead ends. So... No one knows that people that stole it could have tried to sell it, been unsuccessful, and just ended up destroying it to get rid of the evidence so they're not constantly worried that they are going to get caught. But I can't imagine the condition of the paintings at this point if they weren't sold within like a year. Like These are really old paintings, so I can't imagine they're yeah. in any great condition. Yeah, true. If they still exist. Yeah, and... 
like they said in the documentary for when young worth had that tube and unrolled the painting like they said these paintings are pretty stiff so you can't really roll them because the paint will crack and like chip off yeah so it i don't really think that he actually had the paintings and he was just trying to find a way to get miles and himself off but yeah i don't know how these things would have been transported all this time so they're probably not really in great shape he just showed like a paint like a rolled up painting of <laughs> like him drawing turkeys with his hand <laughs> it's, it's like one of those uh those little like things at walmart where you can pan through all of the posters <laughs> he just grabbed one of those it was just one of those big supreme s's <laughs> oh wow no but what what did that that woman you said had seen the painting that that guy put up above his bed or whatever why did they look more into that did they almost get that painting back i don't know what happened after that seems I, weird th- they didn't just, look into because that i i honestly have no idea yeah. i mean maybe he got rid of it when he figured out that people were starting to suspect him yeah and he just realized this isn't good for me to have mm-hmm. or i mean maybe he just got it from someone after the heist like he just someone gave it back to him and he didn't realize oh this is one of the things that i stole because if he did get paid off by someone to steal it he's probably not really looking that closely at what he's grabbing and after the fact or maybe he didn't even take that one maybe the other guy took that one Mm. so he doesn't even know they stole it (laughs) so i mean maybe he doesn't even think anything of it and turns out that it's one of the paintings that they're looking for Mm. so i don't know Mm. yeah they didn't really say what happened after that but it's just crazy how many people in this story end up dead after like shortly after this happened yeah so it's cursed i guess and then the timing for the sting on the mob and this theft just go hand in hand and that's why there's because the mob is in such disarray that everyone's trying to gain an upper hand on all the families in this power vacuum so everyone's just killing everyone yeah (laughs) so but any other questions you guys got? No, I thought that was super interesting. I love I love a good heist. Yeah, it's. I saw that on... Because I had heard of this from that BuzzFeed video, and I hadn't thought about it in forever. So I saw that, and I was like, this is cool. Yeah, that's a good topic, dude, mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, I have here up next for our first official spooky month topic. Ooh. So that'll be fun. Can't wait. Uh, but until then, and for my first spooky topic, I'm just going to tell the story of my life. (laughs) (laughs) That is scary. Uh, but yeah, until then, if you guys want to follow us on our social medias, to get in touch with us there. (laughs) Evan looked spooked right there. (laughs) (laughs) I heard social medias. I'm like, shit, that's my job. (laughs) Uh, you can follow us at, uh, on Instagram at the gems of history. Uh, with a, or excuse me, the Gems of History podcast with a underscore where a space would be. Uh, and then you can follow us on Twitter at Gems underscore History. Yeah, and you can email us at Gems of History podcast if you guys, at Gems of History podcast at gmail.com if you guys find that art and then we can uh, pass that information along for you. Yeah. Uh, we'll split the deal yeah, or split right. the reward money. Wink. 75 25. Yes. <laughs> Our final offer. What is it when George Erwin Kramer's like bartering with Jerry? Yeah, he's dad. doing all the legwork. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I need work? a bigger cut of this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you guys want to get in touch, get in touch with us on either the socials or our email. But other than that, 
I'm glad I could get both of you guys back down here with me. Yeah, I dude, that was a really fun time. I think we oh, spent yeah. like 40 minutes just laughing. Oh, stuff, yeah. So. I laughing, was a little, chuckling. I was a little worried when I was doing my notes. I'm like, I don't know if I really have all that much to like. No, dude, that's one of our longer ones probably. Yeah. Know, so. so That literally happens every time. Like one of us comes in with three sheets of paper yeah, like it's, yeah. An hour later, and yeah. here we are yeah. well and i was trying to do this a couple nights when i didn't really get a lot of sleep the night before so i was like nodding off while i was typing these out and yeah. then i would come back to it and i'd be like i don't even remember what i was talking about right here so i had to like go back <laughs> no, and redo really, parts yeah it really worked out but yeah thank you guys for listening i hope you enjoyed this one and we will be back in next week with evan's topic and then maybe mark will do one after that if he's got the free time but Other than that, that's all we got. So we'll talk to you later. See ya.